0: So thankful that you 're here today, you know isn 't it great that it 's like things are starting to grow it 's starting to get green around uh, around here? Well, maybe not just yet, but it 's getting close. I, I went out to my yard uh, yesterday and I looked really down low and I saw some green, so pumped about that you know six weeks ago, we started the book of first Peter, and today we 're going to finish chapter one then next week we 're going to turn a corner. Uh, Away from Peter. We'll come back to it and finish the book by the end of the summer. But um, uh, for the next four weeks after this, we will uh, turn our face to Easter. And I'm excited about Easter. It's, uh, we're, we're, uh, I'm excited about where we're going to be in the Word of God on Easter through the Easter season starting next week. But I'm also excited about Passion Week. Uh, Passion Week, uh, we're going to do that again this year. And uh, um, it's been a couple of years since we've been able to do it. And, and I, I hope that you'll come uh, it's, Passion Week, it's an experience where this whole place, the week of Easter, will be transformed into the stations of the cross. It's super cool um, and meaningful. We'll end with the Lord's Supper, and, and I, I do hope that you'll come and invite somebody uh, that, that week of Easter. It's just such a meaningful experience. And um, uh, so pray about that. You know, um, if you have your Bibles, turn to First Peter chapter 1. It's so where we are today, and we're gonna wrap this chapter up. And 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 we've got to remember that Peter is writing at the beginning of chapter one, he says, I'm Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered. Peter's writing a letter to believers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And, and these are Christians that are scattered around Turkey, that's where they were. And um, and, you know, as you look at this, you've got to understand this is written to a group of believers that are facing some really difficult circumstances, really tough times. And it wasn't popular to be a Christian uh, during this time. It was actually very challenging. And we can't miss that as we study this book, that the first readers of this book were Man, it was devastating for them. They were difficult circumstances, and this is valuable for us because as I um, uh, look at, you know, I know some of you are going through tough times. There's some challenging circumstances maybe ahead for our nation, for us as Christians. You know, on my on my trip, I had a trip this last week with my son, and we've been planning it for for years. I'd been planning this trip with him for years and we were very intentional uh, about this trip with just the fun and also just some of our conversations. And uh, we went through a book together and it'd be worth your read. It's a small book, it's a short book. It's called uh, Why Trust the Gospels by a guy named Peter Williams. Um, Very, very good book, especially as Easter comes into view, Um, it'd be uh, worth your time. Why Trust the Gospels by Peter Williams. It's short. But it's a book that that I think uh, um, there's a part of it in the first chapter where uh, Peter Williams writes about a guy named Pliny the Younger. I don't know if you've ever heard of that guy, Pliny the Younger. He was a a politician in uh, at the time of Peter's writing of this book. Uh, the The audience of this first the first audience of First Peter would have known Pliny the Younger. He was a politician. And and, and he writes, in in Peter Williams, he he writes this, uh, shares this letter between Pliny the Younger and the emperor Trajan. And this is what Pliny the Younger writes as he writes this letter to to Trajan. Pliny Pliny the Younger was the governor of Bithynia and Pontus. You know, those are two letters that, that where these people were understanding. They were they were living, and he was the governor there. And he writes about these Christians. He says the method I, that I have observed towards those who have been denounced to me as Christians is this: I interrogated them when they were whether they were Christians. If they confessed it, I repeated the question a second and third time, adding the threat of capital punishment. If they persevered, I ordered them to be led off to execution. For whatever their nature of their belief might be, I could at least feel no doubt that the stubbornness and inflexible obstinacy deserved punishment. Then he writes, Many persons of all ages and ranks and of both sexes are being and will be called to trial. And I think that that uh, little insight into the first century right there, that letter between Pliny or Pliny uh, uh, the Younger and Trajan, gives an insight into what the Christians were going through. He was just like sending them to death. It'd be like us coming to church and going, ah, you know, uh, Rob was killed this week by the governor for being a Christian. Man, I like that guy. You know, it's tough. These were tough times. And let's understand that in the book of 1 Peter, we're going to see over and over again that salvation is our greatest gift. And you see this as we study the book. You also see that as we study this book, that, that the Holy Spirit, what he's doing, he's helping us grow up in our faith. And then it's important for us to grow up as believers. And, and this is a lifelong pursuit for us to, to continually grow up in our faith. Another thing you see in the book of 1 Peter, something very important, is that, is that Jesus helps us in the face of difficult times, in the face of a hostile culture. Christ helps us. And, and I think it's very important to recognize that, that if you look at history, um, like you see at Pliny the Younger and Trajan, that, that when you really trace the, the people of God through history, it's very fascinating because during times of persecution, the church tends to grow. When, when, the, when the church faces times of, of comfort and, and, and just kind of um, um, influence, the church tends to decline. It's very fascinating that, that happens through history. So as I look at the tensions coming our way, I'll tell you what, I'm excited about it. I think God's prepared us for this. And, and when you look at the, the context of the first century and you look at this letter between Plinus the Younger and, and Trajan, you see a couple of things. You see that these guys didn't like Christians. And let me tell you something, we live in a world that the, the gospel is offensive and we can't take away the, the offense of the gospel. You know, um, you also see, in as you really understand the context of 1 Peter, that it was difficult to be a Christian. Hey, let's process this for a second. There are times in our lives that it will be difficult to be a Christian. G- God never promised us ease. He never promised us a, a time of comfort. Look, there are times it is very difficult to be a Christian, that we have to have faith that that is... Um, You know, we can't see what's going to happen. And some of you right now, you're in a time of faith. You have to trust the Lord. And all of us are going to be in those situations at, at times, but we just really have to have trust in the Lord. And this was the time of these first century believers. Another thing that's interesting is you hear, as we Think about this letter between um, uh, Pliny the Younger and Trajan, you see that even in the midst of this persecution, people dying that there were a lot of Christians in these areas, and you see the impact of the gospel and and I'll tell you i I just I think it's I think it's very important and that's why I wanted to start here today that we really understand the context of first Peter and And we're not going to be exempt from tough times as followers of Christ. But here's the miracle. God will walk us through tough times. And that's the beauty of following Jesus, that he doesn't leave us during tough times. It's in tough times that we learn over and over again that, God, you are faithful. And regardless of what you're facing today, here's what you'll discover is that the word of God never fails and that God is faithful regardless whether we can see it or not. And that's important. Now, look at verses 22 through 25. And, and you know, in this book, I love it because we see how Christ strengthens us. We see how Christ gives us hope. We see that his word is a guide for us, that, that his word is a, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, like Psalm 119 says. And we also see that, that in, in especially in this passage, you see that when we face tough times, we're better when we face tough times together. Now, there's two big points in verses 20 through to 25 that I don't want us to miss, that, that when we face adversity, God has given us the gift of one another. I want you to look around the room. Look around this room. All of us are going to go through tough times, and we may do this culturally. You know, there's, there's tough things culturally. There's tough things morally right now. You just look at the news. And if you follow collegiate swimming, you see some big moral dilemmas in the world. There's tough times culturally coming our way. And, but here's the deal. God's given us the gift of one another. You know what else God's given us? The second thing we'll see in this passage, God's given us the gift of his word. So let's stand together and look at this passage. 1 Peter 1, 22 through 25. God's word says this, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart for you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise Thank you. you. may be seated. Now, when we, when we read our Bibles, you can't help but see this over and over again, That challenge, the, the challenges that come. And I want you to think about this think about your understanding of Scripture. There are so many challenges that come when believers don't get along. Like we've seen this in our lives. We've seen this in our churches. The times that Christians don't get along, that they fight with one another, we fight the wrong battles. And you would think that those of us that know Christ, um, we, we would get along with each other. Right? We believe Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. That's a famous passage that says there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That there's this unity that comes as as a believer that, that we have been impacted by Christ. But but you know what? You see a lot of times, and this has been true for God's people from the beginning, we fight with one another. We fight the wrong battles sometimes. I mentioned uh, a book several, I guess quite a few weeks ago, first of the year, a book called The Great Evangelical Recession, which is... Um, um, uh, a guy named Dickerson, he, he pointed about the church dividing. That's one of the, the problems in the church, that, that, that in many ways we see the church splitting itself. You see evangelicals and, and Christians that, that just tend to just devour each other and fight each other. When, and, and, and there are problems in our culture. There's, there's challenges that we face that sometimes we don't know what to do, but we've got to avoid the trap of fighting each other. And I'm with a lot of pastors. And there's a lot of pastors that even in our Southern Baptist denomination that that we disagree on things. Um, But we got to make sure that we don't fight the wrong battles. I mean, just a scan of Twitter, right, Uh, among some of my pastor friends. I scratch my head and go, come on, fellas. This is like on the Internet. People can see this, that we fight, or these fights. Can I just get on a soapbox for a second? You realize that, that it's easy to get online and be a bad witness, right? You know that, that your reputation online, that the lost world looks at that, you need to, we, we ought to be careful about our posture and the things we, um, that a lost world sees as we post things online. Some of my, I mean, sometimes it's easy to get behind a computer screen and say things that you would never say to somebody looking them in the eye. Let's be careful what we post. Let's be careful of the, of, let's be mindful of our witness online. Okay, I'll get off that soapbox because that's another sermon. But, um, but, but in order to face the problems in front of us, in order to engage the culture in front of us, in order to walk with the Lord through the challenges that are gonna come our way, some expected, some not expected, we gotta be together. And and we gotta work hard at getting along. Now, Now listen to this verse. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, So that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. Now, it's interesting as as Peter's writing to this group of people that are facing Pliny the Younger, killing their friends and their church members, that he's like, look, you, and he links, it's so interesting, he links obedience to God with loving each other. It's fascinating. And, and I guess the way to articulate, if you're following notes today, or in your notes today, point number one is the way you treat people reveals your relationship with Christ. How do, you, how do you treat people? Especially brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ. And I think it's fascinating, now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth. I mean, yeah, you can't make yourself pure. Christ comes into our lives and purifies us, but then he moves us like like we see in the book of 1 Peter. The Holy Spirit helps us grow up. We learn disciplines. We put disciplines in our lives. We're gonna see this in chapter two, that to rid yourselves, we're gonna learn disciplines. And one of the disciplines we've gotta learn is the discipline of loving each other. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere, Love for your brothers. Boy, catch that. Not a fake love, but a sincere love. Then he says, love one another deeply from the heart, from the motivation. And and there's a clear connection to obedience to God and loving each other. How are you doing with that? How are we doing with that? Are we obeying the Lord by loving each other deeply? Even when we disagree with one another, even when we struggle with one another, even when we annoy one another, frustrate one another. You know, um, the way we love each other is is a mark of a believer. It's a mark of our walk with Christ because, you know, we forgive because, why? Because we've been forgiven. Because I've been forgiven by God, I'm moved to, you know, not hold a record of wrongs. To, to let go of, of a frustration. To go, you know what, I may not agree with that, but you know what? That's all right, it's not about me, right? We forgive one another, even when we're wronged. Because Christ has forgiven us. Think how much Jesus has forgiven you. All through Scripture, we're called to, to remember that. Remember what you, how you've been forgiven. We're patient, with others because we have been shown patience, right? Think how pa- I think how patient God has been with me. I mean, I was the other the other night, I was so frustrated with a person in my life, I could not sleep. I literally got up out of bed. And as I was mad in the middle of the night, couldn't sleep. God reminded me, hey, you know, Chris, I've been pretty patient with you. Like you yeah, have yeah. I'm sorry. (laughs) And I went to sleep. It was great. God, it was fun. I was really glad because I wanted to go to sleep. Um, But we're patient because God has shown us patience. We love others. Why? Because we've been shown this unconditional love. So often God reminds me when when I have a temptation to hold a grudge. Man, Chris, I, you got to release that. And I'm working through that. But I think about John 13, 34 and 35, and this is a command, right? It's not a suggestion. Jesus says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And this is interesting, what Jesus said this. By this, everyone will, you'll know, that, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. So one of the ways we're recognized in the world is, is how we love each other. And this is why we've got to work to get along. And let's recognize that that God's word is is commanding us to love each other. And Peter is writing to people facing real adversity. And can I just say to you, as we face a hostile culture and a hostile world, as we face trials in our lives and challenges in our lives and difficulties in our lives, we do it together. And that's what God's reminding us, that we love each other. I mean, and, and let's think about this. Love each other deeply from the heart. This digs into the depths of our motives, our, our intentions, our desires. And, and Peter is saying, look, the only way we're gonna face these tough times, these this adversity is we do it together. Loving each other. Now, um, I don't know if you, have y'all seen The Sound of Music? Everybody, everybody, everybody seen that, seen that. Have you seen that musical? Okay, uh, I married into the Von Trapp family, uh, uh, the Christian version of the Von Trapp family. So um, in that musical, it's the Von Trapps, and they like everything. Like I, sometimes I feel like our life is like a musical. Everybody sings in our, in our house. And, um, and just the other day, it was Olivia's birthday. She's sitting here on the front row. She's our niece, and yesterday, Um, that's Olivia. Her birthday was yesterday. And, and so our family says, let's, this is what we do. We, we, as if it's somebody's birthday, we call and leave a message singing happy birthday in like 13 part harmony. And, and that's how we do it. And, um, and so there have been times, and I even said this yesterday, let's sing it off key. And Robin's like, Robin smiles all the time. My wife smiles all the time because she's married to me, I think. But, um, but, uh, one way to not make her smile and I've done this often, is I said, let's sing this off-key. And Rob's like, um, Chris, we don't sing off-key in our family. <laughs> it's not how we roll. And uh, so I, I always start, ah, ah. And was always starting, and Rob's like, cut the recording. No, we're not doing that. So, and so we sang beautifully, happy birthday. I thought about trying to get your phone up here to play it, but that would just be make most of you throw up in your mouth. But... Um, <laughs> But but you know what, as I was writing, as I was meditating on this passage and thinking about this sermon, my musical family came to mind. Because unity is like beautiful harmony. You ought to YouTube uh, worship fails, if you've ever done that. And uh, it's hilarious. It's these worship songs that are like busting out, and then all of a sudden someone hits a wrong note, and it's like, well, don't do it right now, but you ought to do that later. But um, But... When something is off key, it's like, whoa, that's horrible. And you know what? The gift of salvation, point two is this. The gift of salvation echoes a harmony that changes the world when Jesus saves us, when he comes into our lives, it's like, and, he, and, he, and we work together and we come together in unity, it's like beautiful harmony that a world, go, even a lost world goes, that's just right. And do you know that our church, the way we love each other, the way we work together, the way we forgive one another causes a lost world that that doesn't like the Lord, that that rebels against the Lord, that they look at that and go, wow, that's that's right. That's good. Think about this. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere Love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. Why? For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. You know, I like what Warren Wearsby said about this passage. He says that to, when you come to Christ, um, Like when you're born physically, you have two parents, mother and father. When you're born spiritually, there are two parents. The Spirit of God, like John 3, 5 and 6, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. That that when we weren't born saved, the Spirit of God comes and speaks to us and calls us and and saves us. But there's another parent, according to Wearsby, the Word of God, verse 23, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living. Notice this, the living living word of God, the enduring word of God. I love this. And and, and when I think about this passage, it moves us to work on unity. That, That it's the word of God, the spirit of God that produces in us a love for each other. And that's why Peter writes, now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers love one another deeply, be unified. You know what came to my mind? And I don't have time to unpack this fully, but turn over to Psalm 133. This is one of my favorite Psalms. And David wrote this in Psalm 133. And, and uh, there's a whole lot to unpack here, but uh, let me just mention it. Because in Psalm 133, David writes how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And I'll just look at the first example. He says in verse 2, It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. Now, let's just unpack that for a second, because David says that when brothers dwell together in unity, and picture Aaron, the the priest, and and his beard and and oil coming down, and, and just so much of it that it, gets on his collar. You know, you have to understand a little bit of Old Testament um, priesthood because it's different than our experience. Uh, if, if we were in the Old Testament synagogue and the priest walked in, you know, we, we would smell him. Now, now, none of you smelled me coming in today probably, and uh, I hope not at least, uh, but, but that was not what it was like in, the, in, the, in, in a synagogue. They would smell the priest because of the oil on his beard. And David's reflecting back. He's like, oh, man, unity is so overwhelming. It's like the oil that's on the beard. And everybody that understood Jewish culture goes, oh, yeah, sweet smelling. You know what I think David was thinking about? I think he was thinking about 1 Samuel 21. Let me just tell you that story. You don't have to turn there. But in 1 Samuel 21, that was that moment that David was fleeing from Saul, King Saul. They were brothers. Think about King Saul. King Saul was, was, I mean, David loved him. David loved Jonathan, and David loved King Saul and, and helped him and, and played for him. And, 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 and then there was that moment that Saul was trying to kill him. And multiple times, Saul tried to kill David. And he was fleeing. And, and what's crazy, in 1 Samuel 21, he fled to Gath. Now, there's a famous guy from Gath. A fam- Gath is a Philistine city. And, and there was a famous Philistine from Gath. You may have heard of him. He was a big guy named Goliath, was from Gath. And David, fleeing from Saul, fled to Gath. And, and they started going, oh, that's David. And in 1 Samuel 21, they go, David, we know that guy. Remember that song that was written about David? Yeah, Saul has killed his thousands. David, his thousands. Tens of thousands? The Philistines remembered that. And I can imagine the meeting going, hey, this is David who killed tens of thousands of us. And that guy's coming to us for help. Think about the devastation of disunity. Saul, David was fleeing Saul, and he went to the Philistines. Now, when they got word that it was him, remember what David did? That was the moment in David's life that he started acting crazy. He started acting insane. And the Bible talks about that David was acting so crazy that spit he covered his beard, and he just was, and they were looking at him like, "You're crazy, man. We're not going to mess with him." I, not everybody in this room has had a beard before, right? But if you have, and your beard is covered with spit, it stinks. It smells really bad. And I think it's interesting that David compares the unity of believers. It's not like spit on my beard. That day that it was foul and gross and devastating. No, when brothers dwell in unity, it's like Aaron's beard with oil and sweetness. So, so let's recognize, let's feel this a little bit. This passage moves us to say... Um, now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, let's feel this challenge. Love one another deeply from the heart. Why? Because you have been born again. You and I have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Disunity is, is repulsive. Unity is sweet. Unity is this stumbling block to anointing. And, 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 and here's, let's think about this. Without unity in our church, among believers, do you realize that the world has a reason to mistrust Christ? And I'll tell you, we are living in, we are moving in such a time. And I think Peter is writing to believers that, that, that needed to be encouraged and needed to recognize that it's your unity that's going to change the lives of Pliny the Younger and Trajan. Now, I don't know that those guys came to Christ. But I'll tell you, they were, as they wrote about them, they looked at these Christians and said, wow, they're a unique bunch. Because even in the midst of death and dying, in difficulty, they trust the Lord and they stick together. That's what we gotta do. We trust the Lord and we stick together. And that's why I think this passage is so rich as you hear, now that you have purified yourselves, by obeying the truth, so that you and I will have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply from the heart. For you know what? You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Through the living and enduring word of God. And then Peter, God used him to help us understand the power of the word of God. And and, and this is why these last verses of this chapter, it, it moves me to lean into the word of God, to trust the word of God, to understand the word of God, to look to the word of God. And point three is so very important that that we are going to allow the word of God to shape our thoughts and our actions. This is the value of our church that that we submit to what the word of God says and it shapes our thinking. and, and, And Because he says this, for all men are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever think about that God's word is you can you can trust it you can trust the word of God this week with my son we were we were having some intentional conversations about life and future and legacy and 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 what is where has God led us and where is he leading us as with faith and generational conversations were taking place this week with my son. And as I processed these things with him, we we just contemplated that I don't know the name of my great, great, great grandfather. I don't even know his name. Do you know what the reality is? Three generations from now, my great, great, great grandkids may not know my name unless Ancestry.com gets more popular. But they're not going to know my name. But let's think about what Peter writes. For all men are like grass. I haven't even started mowing yet. And it's interesting that God helps us see that all men are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord stands forever. And though I don't know the name of my great, 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 great grandfather, my nephew did some research and I found out that he was a Methodist circuit rider preacher in Arkansas. That's cool. This week, we spent time with my cousins and talked about the other side of my family that were lost. And my grandfather came to Christ. We processed the influence of this um, family that, honestly, we, we came in, my family came in the land run in 1889 to Oklahoma. And my cousin said to me, he goes, you know what? since our family came in the land run, that's, that means they didn't have anything. That means they were, they were like, man, we got free. Let's start over. Free land. Let's go. And they came here. And my grandfather got saved as an adult. Changed his life. And you know what? Eric and I talked about our future and said, you know, it doesn't matter if they know our name, but you know what we pray is that the gospel continues to weave through our family, whether they know our name or not. You know what I, we prayed? Lord, may they know your name rather than my name. Let me tell you something. This passage is beautiful. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you've been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. You know that All men are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So, look, no matter what trials we face, we've got to come together and live in unity. No matter what culturally is in front of us, you you need a body, you need the church. We gotta come together and tackle whatever comes our way side by side. Forgiving one another, loving one another. And hear this, no matter what comes our way, let's never doubt the word of God. Let's never doubt the power of God. And no matter what you're facing today, and the Mosby's over here are facing cancer. We prayed for them two weeks ago. No matter what comes our way in our lives, no matter what comes our way from the threats of nuclear war that I read about today, the threats of global difficulty, the moral change that's, that's the pressures that are coming our way, the cultural pressures coming our way, Let's make sure we trust the word of God. Because you know what God's word does? God's word helps us think what God thinks. And I find in my life, I don't need to think what I think. I need to think what God thinks. I'm better when I sit down and think what God thinks. And that's what God's word helps us do. That's why we put so much emphasis on it. That's why we're constantly learning to turn our face to it. Because when we turn our face to the word of God, it helps us think what God thinks. And when I start thinking what God thinks, you know what happens? I start doing what God does. And that's good for us. That's right to do what God does and, 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 and I, I tend to do what God says. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do what he says and I wanna be a man and I wanna be a church and I pray that we are a people and I pray that the legacy of my family as we process out this week with my son that, that we would be a family that just does what God says to do. Simple as that. And here's what I know and what I want us to embrace today. Today. And what you see in this passage today, that that God's word to you will never fail or never disappoint you, ever. Know that. That God's word, God's truth, what God has said, what God does, it will never disappoint you, it will never fail you. No matter what comes our way, no matter if there is a future Pliny the Younger that comes into our world and puts Christians to death, God's word will never fail, ever. So, here's the: every week we have a mission challenge, and the mission challenge this week is this, and I, and I want to encourage you to do this this week. I want to challenge you to go buy a pretty plant. I know you're going to all plant flowers, but I, I, that's fine. It's good. We're going to plant flowers. I don't even know what they're called. Robin just says, plant these, and we plant them. But what, I, what we're going to do today, a, this week, as a family, is go get one specific plant that I know what it's called. And we're going to plant it. We're going to water it. And as it grows, I want to challenge you to plant something at your house or in your, where you live, to remind you of the faithfulness of God. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, love one another deeply from the heart so that you have sincere love For your brothers, for you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And don't forget this. For all men are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that has been preached to you. So let's embrace it. You know, we're going to have an invitation, and Joe's going to come up. And, and you know, I think invitations are important because God moves us to respond. You cannot hear the word of God correctly and not respond. You know, I remember the, when, I, when I responded to the gospel, my eyes were, it was offensive to me. Even though I was young and I didn't fully grasp it, when I look back on it, it was offensive. Like Isaiah 53, 6 says, for we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. And you know what? I, I was born and I grew up in, a, grew up in church but my parents couldn't choose salvation for me. The Bible's clear on this, that I was lost. I needed to repent, I needed a savior. And what happened is I came to realize I'm a sinner. I needed a savior. God opened my eyes to that. God confronted me with that bad news. But he didn't leave me at a place of bad news. That verse says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. That that good news that Jesus took my sin away, that's the cross. That's the moment that I I turned to Christ and said, Lord, I need you as my Savior. Uh, Has that happened to you? Has there been a moment like that? Have you been trusting in maybe a childhood experience to save you? Have you put your faith in Christ? Look, that's, a, I mean, 1 Peter 2.10, we'll get there. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I, I remember when Jesus saved me. I was with my mom and he changed my life. That's where it began. And that set the course for eternity in my life. And I'm still growing up. How are, you to, how are you supposed to respond today? Maybe your response today is to come to Christ. Maybe the response today is you need to go ask forgiveness. Maybe you're not living in unity. Maybe you're fighting the wrong battles. And maybe you need to get right with somebody. Maybe the invitation today is for you to just stay seated and text somebody and go, Hey, you know about that? I'm sorry. I was wrong. Would you forgive me for that? Maybe it's, uh, maybe your response is to, um, Stop being so selfish. Stop fighting the wrong battles. Stop. Maybe today, the response is doubt. Lord, I'm gonna stop doubting you. I'm gonna trust you even when I can't see you. Uh, Can you, don't, don't you know, he, He is trustworthy. I just want to ask you to respond to the the Lord today. and Allow him to move you, shape you, change your thinking. So Joe's going to sing, and you may want to stand and sing with him, or maybe you want to come and get on your knees and pray, or maybe you want to come talk to me or somebody in this room. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you. And I thank you, Lord, that you've given us the gift of one another to tackle whatever lies ahead. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of your church. And may we invest in your church and live together. Lord, thank you for the gift of your word. I pray that we would learn to trust your voice. First of all, to know your voice, then to trust your voice and to understand your word and wrestle with it. Thank you for calling us to these days and we trust you no matter what comes our way. And we just want to say that out loud, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.